Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, former Vanderbilt basketball great Will Purdue. Will is fairly plugged into the football program at Vanderbilt. And so today's podcast is mostly going to deal with the opening game against Hawaii and the culture surrounding the football program. There will be some basketball-specific questions in the mailbag at the end, so stay tuned to that. Anyway... Here is our interview with Will Purdue. Will Purdue joins me as he does on a fairly regular basis, or at least I think that's going to be the case going forward. We are talking here on a Tuesday morning. It is opening week of the football season for Vanderbilt, not so much for the rest of the country. But Will, I know there's been a lot of anticipation for the opening game. It's a strange scenario with a game kicking off at 930 Central. Um, so just a, just an odd setting to begin the season, but the season is beginning and I know a lot of people have looked forward to that, including me and you. Well, yes, you're exactly right. You know, the interesting thing is I've, as we approach Saturday, I will continue to battle internally about what it is that I'm looking forward to the most on Saturday. I mean, the obvious is, can they win the game? I think that's first and foremost, that's, that's the, the most, and that, well, that's the first question. I don't know if that's the most important question, quite honestly. And some people that are listening to this podcast may be taken back by that, but you know, it, the expectations are, and if you go by what's being said at Vegas, now listen, I understand Vegas isn't telling you that Vanderbilt's necessarily going to win the game, but they are favored by seven, seven and a half, if I remember correctly. So it's not like it's only a three point spread. So I would say that, you know, they're the odds on favorite. Um, but there's still, you know, this is, and this is somewhat that makes this so intriguing because the only thing we can go on is last year, two and 10, no SEC wins. Okay. And regardless of what you think about last season, we need to try to focus and, and, and the present and the future. So if there was a better opponent than Hawaii, I don't like the fact that they had to go to Hawaii. I think that when it's all said and done, the players are going to enjoy themselves and, as I've been, you know, following them on social media, they've already done, you know, some really good things over there, uh, you know, as far as community service. I mean, they're not just over there to play football. And I like the fact that Clark has them involved into the community and trying to, you know, maybe win over a few fans. But <clears throat> I think, and let me, I, I mean, I know this answer is going to take a few minutes and I appreciate your patience, Chris, but you know, I'll share with our listeners, you know, right out of the gate. There's three things that I'm going to be looking for in this game. Well, four. One is I, I hope 
and anticipate them winning this game. Okay. But if they don't, I would like to have some questions answered. And there's some terminology that I'm going to share with our listeners that, you know, when I was fortunate enough to go over there, you know, a couple weeks ago and sit in on the team meetings, uh, the coaches meetings, things of that nature. I don't, I don't think I'm, uh, you know, letting out any, uh, you know, state secrets here, but you know, and this is a, a, something that I'm sure every football team looks to do, but this is something that they're really pressing hard and they remind and they talk about at the beginning of every day. You know, the first term that Clark came up with, and part of the reason why I'm mentioning this is because I, I loved it. I wrote it down and I'm going to use this when I talk to younger kids and teams, you know, about approaches and, and, you know, mental aspects and toughness as far as how a team thinks and acts. But, you know, they're talking about being able to play as a collective force and just, you know, I'm not demeaning anybody, but just to use the term collective means, you know, acting as a group. And I think that we can honestly agree that, you know, in the past, this team hasn't always played as, as a group, you know, there's, and that's been unfortunate, but Clark's been pressing that, you know, offense, defense, special teams, you know, are, can they play as a collective force? Meaning everybody's on the same page, everybody's buying in, you know, and, and when you watch them, Hey, maybe they're not winning, but I'm thinking of this throughout the whole season, but yes, they're playing as a collective force and they're playing to the best of their ability. We all, I think we all can agree as well that they're going to play some games that they can play really well and still lose because they're playing opponents that are just better than them, deeper than them, have more talent than them. But then that's where, you know, you also comes the second term, dictate terms. Meaning that you're the team that dictates how the game's going to be played. So when you're playing Alabama and these other SEC teams, if you're going to lose the game, you're not going to roll over. And I'm not saying that Vanderbilt's rolled over in the past, but you're going to make them earn it. So when that opponent walks off the field, their respect level has gone way up. They're looking at Clark Lee. They're looking at the players, and they're thinking, hey, this team, I'm not talking about opposing coaches. I'm talking about opposing players. This team, these players, they're going in the right direction. This team's played harder and tougher than any Vanderbilt team I've ever played. The mentality that they have, the toughness that they have is impressive. And then that's, as these opponents are walking off the, the field, they're like, hey, we won today, but this team's getting better. And as they continue to get better talent, they're going to be tougher to deal with. And you want that in the back of opponents' minds. And the last thing is, is you know, how does this team handle adversity? What if they don't get off to a great start you know, against Hawaii? Can they regroup? Can they slowly chip, chip away and come back and win the game? This isn't something that we've seen out of this team in a couple of years. You know, they get down early. Uh, mentally, they're now crushed. They can't get back on track, and things just get worse. So I think those are three things that all fans, when they're watching that Hawaii game and the Elon game and the Wake Forest game, you know, think about collective force. Think about dictate terms. Think about handle adversity and see if they're making improvement every week. Will, it's been interesting being that it's opening week, and you see in the offseason there's a lot of optimism and 
hey, this guy's done well in spring and fall camp and, and all those things. And people get excited and they can anticipate improvement and all those things. And then you get to game week and you get the message board posts that I see. You get the phone calls and the text messages where people are remembering the Temple opener in 2014 and the SMU game and 90 or 91 or whatever year that was and just some of the disasters that have beset Vanderbilt football in the past and the doubt creeps in and all that. Um, it's an interesting psychological study, but I, I do like the way that Clark Lee has prepared them in the, the ways that you speak of because I, I think that having a more aggressive mentality and dictating things rather than sitting back and, and waiting and, and maybe waiting for bad things to happen is has often been the case. It seems to me that maybe the, the mindset there lends itself to, to winning games a little bit more. Now, look, they, they may lose to Hawaii and all that goes out the window, but it's just been interesting to hear you talk about the approach that the staff has had combined with all the, the messages where the, the doubt has crept in with the fan base and for former players who just seen disaster time and time and time again. And frankly, I, I don't remember, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, I don't think you called it a must win. I almost do because I think that if they lose this game, then all the negative narratives come back. Um, you know, the, the, the talk of progress, I'm not going to say completely gets halted, but you put a big dent in that and, I just think this is a game that they really need to win to start putting some of that past that drags them down behind them. No, I, I agree with that 100%, Chris. I mean, I really do. I mean, that's, as I said, first and foremost, I want to see them win this game. And, and that's what I was kind of referring to as far as, you know, the internal battle that I'm having as we approach Saturday is, is this a must win? I mean, it's, I think we're right now, I'm kind of sitting on the fence, you know, with, um, you know, must win and, or play well. You know, we, I, I think when you start, as you said, now we can really start thinking about Hawaii. Now, you know, you have, uh, I think it's the, the, the coach that's head of player development, you know, has made a statement that Vanderbilt has no idea what they're getting themselves into, you know, for this game on, on, uh, Saturday. And, you know, that's, there's, there's some truth to that because I, if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's Hawaii has 53 new players. Yeah. And that's just unheard of. So how do you watch game film? I mean, I know there's a certain offense that you think they're going to run and a certain scheme they're going to use on defense, but I mean, who knows? This is going to be, but that's the other thing, Chris, is we're not just, we're not just talking about testing the toughness of the players because of the great unknown of this Hawaii team, you know, with so many new players, you're also testing uh, the knowledge and the flexibility and the ability to pivot in the middle of a game on the coaches. You know, we can't just sit here and say, all right, the players have to do this and that and have to act a certain way and play a certain way. 
that's a true statement, but also, you know, it's the, it, this is on the coaches as well. It's when you say collective force, you're not just talking about the players. You're also talking about the coaches. And what I mean by that is, and I think this has happened that do the players that have bought in at the moment and believe, but do they also feel like as they now are reiterating the game plan and, and scripting the first 10 plays and, you know, going over the defensive scheme and constantly doing the scatter report to the players, you know, at the end of every night when they have that last meeting before they go to their hotel rooms, uh, fully believe that they're putting in, they're being put in their best position to win regardless of talent. And me personally having an opportunity to kind of cross paths with some of these guys and talk to them at the moment, you know, I think they do believe that. So that's where there's so many unanswered questions regarding this game. That's why, you know, I think this is going to be, this game is going to be a game. And, And I think when you talk about must win, there are certain aspects from a fan standpoint that I think I agree with you in the sense that it is a must win because those that are sitting on the fence of, do I even invest my time with this team this year? You know, are they going to be worthy? Are are they just going to be frustrating again? Am I going to get mad? Am I going to throw things at the TV? Those are the ones that I think are going to be like, Hey, if they don't win this game, I'm out, I'm done. I'll find more productive things to do with my time. But if they do win now, now that they're in, they'll be watching the next week, you know, and I think for some of those fans, it's going to be a week by week, um, saga, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be emotional. Um, you know, I told you, I watched every game last year, except for, uh, one or two of them that were on ESPN plus I couldn't get them. Um, and I plan on doing the same this year, but I've also, you know, been very impressed with what I've not only learned from Clark, but just the time I've had, you know, with the other coaches. But I do have expectations, and I I expect those expectations to be met not only by the coaches but by the players. And you know, can they check those boxes of collective force, dictate terms, and handle adversity? You know, and if you want to talk about as you just said. Those teams of the past, I just don't think they've handled adversity very well. I don't think that they've been mentally tough. And, you know, I think some of that is, has been reflective of, of, you know, the staff and the lack of belief in the staff. But I don't think that that's where they are in this situation. I think they have changed the culture. I think they have changed the belief. And I think a lot of that has to do with, as you've seen, and we'll agree, they're, they're recruiting they've done an excellent job with and, and gotten a lot of commitments from players that in the past would have no interest of in coming to Vanderbilt. So I think that there, it's, there's more than just the current rosters buying in. I think that you have recruits and players um, that are buying in and want to be a part of this. You know, I think that you've hit on several things that I wanted to, to comment on as sidebars. One is fan engagement and belief. I think that's, I mean that that could be a whole hour long podcast because I think there <laughs> there are topics underneath that with with ticketing and season ticketing that that really really need to be addressed that Vanderbilt's not doing a good job of addressing. But I spoke yesterday at, at a Rotary Club type thing that I do maybe once a year, and it's composed mostly of of older Vanderbilt fans and even some players. 
and I, I kind of got asked a lot of questions, and it was just this, I don't know, cautious, almost disengaged, looking at it from a long way away. Um, and these are people that used to be, you know, decent donors, like I said, played there. The, the, the engagement, I, I talked to a former player yesterday who got invited to practice and um, told me, he said, look, I, I was waiting to see if I could get other teammates to go with me. Um, that was sort of the thing. I was going to maybe use that as an opportunity to hang out with other players. Well, nobody, he asked three other people, nobody wanted to go. Um, so he didn't go. Um, and I hope I'm not telling a story out of turn, but that's just kind of where this fan base is. And, you know, I had a lot of questions about facilities. I think people still doubt they're going to do what what they said they're going to do. I, I think they will. That's not – I'm not endorsing that statement necessarily, but that's where people are. And I, I think if you're going to get fans who have been big stakeholders involved again – I think this is a must win unless you steal one somewhere else later in the season. And I think certainly for, for belief and players and everything too, but I just think it's been such a, a fascinating week and just the mentality of the people who have followed this program, but because it's just, again, it's at that stage where all that doubt has crept in. And, and at some point, um, Charlie Brown's got to kick the football. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned Charlie Brown because I was just getting ready to use that as an analogy, you know, and I'm part of that. Uh, I mean, I'll tell, I mean, I'll tell people, you know, I'm not, I'm trying to be very transparent. I think the, the Vanderbilt, and not just necessarily the football fan, but the Vanderbilt fan as a whole, and let's, we'll start with football, is Charlie Brown. And most of these fans feel like whether they look at Lucy as the athletic department, whether they look at Lucy as the school, whether they look at Lucy as the football team, whatever it may be, um, you know, they, you keep asking yourself, you know, but that's also the hard part, the, the, the perseverance, the belief that at some point Lucy's not going to pull the football away. And at some point, Charlie's going to kick it. He's going to make the field goal. And I, the one thing I do know for a fact is Clark knows this. He's very aware. He talks about it with his team. He addresses it front and center. He talks about the importance of what these guys are touch, trying to establish, not just win football games, but win back the fans. All right. And that's where, and this is the difficult part because you're not trying to alienate alumni, former players. There's, they want as many former players back in the fold as possible. But what they're not doing and what they're not trying to do is bring back those memories of the past. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, no no doubt. And that's a, that's a delicate balance. And, you, and you've seen the school, and I think it is – I think it's gone too far. I think it is, quote unquote, fixed the things that didn't need fixing, like the logo or Steve Willard, uh, and, and not fixed a lot of the things that that still very much need fixing and needed fixing two years and five years and ten years ago. 
I but there is that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Did you see that, uh, the video by that, uh, what do they call themselves? The SEC something where, uh, they're at the airport. Yes. Yes. And, SEC and, shorts. Uh, those are so good. Yep. To where they, uh, were boarding the plane and they said, those that need a little extra time. And what? they show now, listen, I know the athletic department in the school didn't like that, but that guy's got a head bandage on and he's got one crutch and he's hopping up and he goes, I got a V in my chest. It looks like Villanova. And yes, <laughs> I, I had to laugh, man. That's, that's pretty funny, but uh, they, they don't take know, nearly as many shots at Vanderbilt as they could. Oh, well, who was it? They said that uh, when somebody said, Hey, we're ready to board. And they said, uh, excuse me, we haven't called the invitation for the Music City Bowl yet. Back up. Right. I forgot yeah. what. Uh, I want to say South Carolina, for, perhaps, or, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but you know, they were taking pot shots at everybody, so it's kind of right. funny. I mean, the only one that they really weren't taking a pot shot at was Georgia when they said, national champions can now board, and they, they show that one guy run up and roll off the red carpet, and this right. dude comes in with all the swagger. And he's got so, he's got a throne on his head. I mean, not a throne, a, a crown yeah. on his head. It was very funny. So yeah. that was that was good. But honestly, you know what? And I'm not trying to aggravate the athletic department. I just think that that's how current fans, other schools, you know, there are those that have disowned themselves from Vanderbilt altogether. Kind of look at things, and that's some of the things that you know Clark. You know, he knew this going in. He's been assigned, not because he's raised his hand and said, hey, that's what I'm going to do, but that's just that's just come with a job. And the athletic department, and we'll, let me touch on this briefly, I think needs to do a better job. And I think they are trying, but, you know, I think, unfortunately, they've made a couple wrong turns, and maybe that's because they're stubborn. But I do know that, you know, the hire of Tommy McClellan has been very good. Um, I don't necessarily agree with, you know, what they've done with the ticket pricing and, and things like that. I understand how they're thinking, but I am also one of those fans that is taking a wait and see attitude. Now I've invested myself into this football program because I believe in Clark Lee I believe in what he's attempting to do. And, you know, I'm also investing myself in this football program because I understand, even as a former basketball player, in about a, a, a sport that's had much more success at Vanderbilt than football has. But regardless of that, I understand that football drives the bus, not only for that athletic department, but for the university. And if they want to continue to be a part of the SEC, and if they want to continue to be able to be competitive, which they haven't been for a couple of years in the SEC, things have to change, and not just on the field, but also at McGugan. And I think Candace is attempting to do that. I think it's a, it's it's a slow go. We would all like to see it, you know, transpire a lot quicker. But, you know, I think they're slowly figuring it out. But there's really, you could say, oh, look what Alabama's done. Or look what Georgia's done. We can't use that blueprint. We just can't. 
we have to do it differently. So we're kind of writing the, writing the, the manual as we go, but I think we would all like to see that happen a lot quicker than it is at the moment. Well, one thing Clark did that I thought was smart was open all the practices, which I don't know that anybody in Power 5 does anything close to what what they do. Uh, there may be a school somewhere, but and it, you do open yourself to some risk of other people knowing a little bit more about what you're doing, but I think he knows they really need all the coverage and enthusiasm they can get. So I was really grateful for that because I've got a really good handle on – I think their personnel and what they're trying to do. And ordinarily under, you know, under Derek Mason and what he had done, we just weren't getting much of that at all, which I think part of that was Derek's own insecurity. And I, I don't think that he had a clue as to, to what to do and where to go. And sometimes people tend to, to try to hide those things, which seemed like the case in, in his case. But I know that we were very welcome. He wants former players there a lot. And that's one thing that they're trying to do. It's just, they're going to have to win some games and help themselves out a little bit before I think people are willing to bite. But I wanted to hit another thing, and then you and I have got about 25 minutes left, and we've got a bunch of questions well, let me just to answer. Say, yeah. yeah. Let me just finish that this thought with one thing. I think that, unfortunately, and this is kind of what happens when you don't win games, you become very sensitive you unfortunately catch yourself or somebody on your staff or somebody within media relations, you know, reading all the articles, perusing the internet, talking about all the negativity and you get caught up in that. And I don't, I think because, you know, what Clark dealt with when he was there as a walk on, he knows, I mean, there's nobody that knows any better than he had. He does but also the things that he learned at Notre Dame. I think it helped him prepare for this job. And, you know, unless he changes dramatically as a person, I don't think you're going to see, you know, I don't want to say he's not sensitive, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to come out one day and complain about all the negativity and how dare you. And, you know, I don't think he's, he's even going to approach that. That's not something that he feels he needs to even address you know, because he's got other things to worry about. So I think that that's also where you talk about changing the culture and having the right man at the helm. You know, I know people still, we can mention this again, you know, talk about how can he make these statements he's making at SEC media days? Is this, is this dude on crack? What, what is he talking about? I just think that's who he is. That's what he thinks he can accomplish. And he's going to do everything within his power to do that. And he will continue. You know, he kind of reminds me of the guy, you know, and you can, you can say it's kind of like the Monty Python skit, right? Where, you know, the guy is supposedly protecting the bridge, but he has no weapons. And then eventually they cut his arms off. Yeah, And he's and like, come back here, you coward. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you have no arms or legs. <laughs> And he calls the other guy a coward because he's leaving him there. I think that's kind of like Clark. I mean, he's going to, he's going to fight to the death. I know. I, I understand that's being a little dramatic, but that's just what Vanderbilt and the football program mean to him. And there's not a lot of them now. There's not a lot of those people left, but he's also in the, in, in has a feeling that he can change that thought 
and even if he said it takes it, you know, one fan at a time, he's, he's bought in and he's willing to do it. Yeah. And he, he needs some help with the, the fan and former player build. And that's, that's a whole other show entirely. I have some thoughts on that. That might be, but that's a, where I've, also, that might be a bi week show. Know, yeah. But that's kind of where I've stepped in, you know, because we just happen to be, you know, where our paths crossed at the right time and started a, an open dialogue. And this is kind of where we are. So, and that's what I mean by Clark. He's not, he looks at everybody as somebody that can help. And he's not talking about yeah. just with their pockets. Yeah, and, and to clarify, when I say he needs help with that, I think he's got a lot of good ideas. He just got a lot to bite off as a football coach, and they need some yeah. some institutional help. But yeah, let, let's um, we've got about twenty minutes left. I've got a ton of questions in the mailbag, but before we go there, Will, I know you had a breakout player or two in mind for this season, so we'll talk about those, and, and maybe I'll even give you a pick or two. Okay, well. You know, I've I've tried from afar to, you know, follow the daily press conferences. You and I have had conversations, you know, whether it's Bleacher Report, the Tennessean, you know, trying to just dig deep into everything that's been going on. And, you know, one of the things to me that jumps out is, is I, okay, Mike Wright is your quarterback. Obviously, the coaches feel like that their strength is in the running game, keeping the ball on the ground. You know, obviously going to throw to keep the, the defense off balance. And that's where I feel like, uh, you know, Patrick Smith is a guy at running back that I think that could have a huge year. I mean, I think we saw last year and, you know, he played in all 10 games, you know, uh, 82 attempts for 360 rushing yards, 16 receptions that a guy, the guy has talent. I think I, he kind of reminds me of a, you know, a human uh, cannonball. And I think that that's a guy that if, you know, again, the schemes are correct. The, the offensive line has improved. The receivers are doing a better job of blocking downfield. This is a guy I think they could have a big year. I also think that he is uh, elusive yet powerful. So I'm really looking forward to see what he does and how he's instituted into the offensive scheme that they you know, and again, something else I think that will help the offense is the continuity because um, I was reading an article, um, one of the offensive linemen, and I forgot, I forgot his name. He's a fifth-year senior. This is the first time that they've ever had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they finally have some continuity on offense. This is This is a – this is something new for them. So I think, you know, and that's another, another area where we could say, Hey, that's a plus, but then that's where also the expectations now have risen on the offense because of that continuity and the same offensive coordinator that you expect to see this offense improve by leaps and bounds. So there are expectations, you know, maybe not from, um, you know, the average fan standpoint, but I think from the coaching standpoint, from the players, you know, they understand that. And I think that, you know, here game one against Hawaii, they're excited to show it. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. 
When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Yeah, the only place I would push back on that one, and I think Patrick Smith is a really good back. I think most years he would start at Vanderbilt. I think Ray Davis is going to be such a part of their identity. He's been so good in camp. Maybe maybe even their best player. Certainly, I think their best player on offense. So I think the running back oh, no, no, situation I, I, is an I, interesting one. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100% about, um, you know, Ray Davis being their best football player, period. Yeah. Okay. But at the same time, we understand, you know, the physical pounding that these guys take. Yeah. I mean, and, you, and I'm not even talking about, you know, let's say Ray Davis carries it 25 times in a game. Even the plays that he's not carrying it, there's physical altercations where he has to block. And that just and that and it, if Patrick can step up, Ray can make the uh, improvement over last year. Now you're talking about two backs where you could constantly run these guys in and out, and you can have them, you can keep them fresh. But at the same time, because of their abilities to catch the ball out of the backfield, if you can put them in at the same time with different packages, then who do you focus on? Yeah, and that's something that this team has not had in a couple. You know, they've had good running backs. But they've never had the ability, in my opinion, and you know, from what I've gone back and seen, to put two back there at the same time where now the defense has to consider both guys, not just one. Yeah. No, they're they're both very talented guys. And I think Patrick's I mean, he's probably gonna get a hundred touches. Rocco Griffin will eat into that, but just because they're I think they're gonna be a run first team. I think they need to be a run first team. And I mean, Ray Davis got hurt last year, so uh, and it's going to take a pounding in other games. So I, I think that I, I think that that's a good pick. It just um, you know just want to nuance it for the fans a little bit that he, he won't be the starter because the <laughs> starter's really good too. No, oh, yeah, and it's and the starters came out in the depth chart, and he's not the starter. Ray Davis right. is, but and I know we have some other questions, but I wanted to throw something out there um, about Mike Wright. You know, I know we can sit here and talk about. Ken Seals being third on the depth chart, which I think everybody's really surprised by because A.J. Swan now is listed as the backup for this game going into Hawaii. But I think what's more important is we have to see improvement in Mike Wright. Um, I read an article to where, you know, he was asked about where he feels like he's improved the best. And he answered accuracy. Now, not only yourself, but others that I've talked to that have watched practice. This is not coming from the coaching staff, but this is coming from others that have been at those open practices. 
they're, they're not sure that they see much improvement, but we have to wait till they, you know, you get into the game atmosphere where there's really now the pressure is on to see how he does and see his accuracy. But the interesting thing that I, that I have read is, you know, that other players refer to him as a galvanizing presence. And when I, when I read that and I heard that, I thought about a guy I played with in Avery Johnson in San Antonio. Avery Johnson, you're talking about a team now that has David Robinson, that has Tim Duncan, that has Sean Elliott. And Avery Johnson was our quarterback. He was our point guard. But Avery also knew he wasn't the best player on the team. Avery also knew he had a lot of deficiencies. But to make up for that, those deficiencies, he made up with it with basketball IQ, meaning that we knew as his teammates that he was competitive. When I say competitive, he was he challenged everybody. I mean, you're talking about in an 82-game season, throughout that season in 99 when we won the championship, Avery got into a verbal or physical altercation with everybody on the team, hmm. every single player at some point or another, whether it be me, Malik Rose, David, Tim, Sean, because he didn't feel like they were playing up to their abilities or they weren't taking the right mental approach or, you know, they weren't being, you know, they weren't taking things seriously. And I think that, you know, Mike Wright needs to take a page out of that book, you know, whether he's having a great game, a good game, a bad game, whatever it may be, you know, he's also the captain. And he is a guy that, you know, has to be smarter than everybody else out there in the sense that he's got to assign, uh, you know, the, the blocking schemes. He's got to assign that to the lineman who then pass the word down the line. You know, he's got to make sure that he reads the defense properly. He's got to invest the time prior to the game and watching so much film so that if he's having a bad game accuracy-wise, for whatever reason, just like a golfer, you know, he shoots 62 on Friday, but then he steps on the, on the course on Saturday and is just struggling to keep the ball in play. But he's got to find a way to get the ball in the hole, right? Mike Wright's got to find a way to have a positive impact on the game. And if he has to do that with his legs, then he has to do that with his legs, but also he can do that in other ways. Where Avery did the same thing, he knew all five positions on the floor. And if you screwed up, he would come to you and say, hey, you know that on this particular play, you're supposed to do A, B, and C. So the next time down the floor, we're going to run this play again, and I know you're going to get it right. Because if you get it right, the play doesn't break down, and then we score. Because if we run it right, it can't be stopped. So Mike Wright's got to kind of use that bas- that football IQ to where if he's having a bad uh, game with his arm, that he finds other ways to help his team win. But also... He's got to continue to be that galvanizing presence to where he keeps everybody else engaged, keeps everybody else involved, and that they put themselves in a position, even if they don't start the game off well, that, that to where they have an opportunity to win as they enter the fourth quarter. Will, are you ready for the mailbag? Yes, sir, I am. All right, that's a good thing because there's lots of questions here. <laughs> Our mailbag is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. 
That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Believe 22 wants your prediction for the Hawaii game. Well, I, I honestly do believe that they're going to win this game. What makes me nervous is, is how they start because of exactly what you said in regards to, I think they've had a really good camp, but now here we are the week before the game and some of that doubt has started to creep into the fan base. And how much of that are the players actually hearing? Okay. You can try to ignore it all you want, but it's, it's almost impossible to not see it, to not hear it. So can they put that behind them? And if they don't get off to a great start, can they, you know, right the ship? And that's where I think the mental toughness of this team is really going to be be tested in this game. That's one of the points we talked about at the beginning of this podcast about being able to handle adversity. But I just think when it's all said and done, Vanderbilt is the better team, and I think that they will find a way to win. I wish I could sit here and be confident with seven points, three points, ten points, whatever it is. But I just I think they find a way to win. Maybe they don't cover but I don't care. It's just about winning and getting that right mindset heading into week two. Believe 22 also asks, how close is Ken Seals to graduating? With it looking like A.J. Swan will be the backup quarterback, I'm wondering if Ken may simply want to play the role of emergency quarterback for the four-game maximum, which refers to if you play more than four games, you lose the red shirt. And either stop playing football altogether or utilize his eligibility somewhere after this season. You know, it's interesting. When I when this came out, uh, the depth chart came out and I saw that, it actually made me think of myself a little bit because I and I don't I haven't talked to the coaches. I don't know this for a fact. I'm just speaking from experience as a former player that I think this might be more of a motivational tool than anything. So you can sit here and say, hey, Mike Wright, A.J. Swan, Ken Seals. But I'm not so sure this isn't – I don't know what's happened at camp. Uh, I think we all agree at this moment, if if you talk about you need to pass the ball, he's your most accurate quarterback. But maybe there's something more there than just – this being about athletic ability. Maybe it's about, you know, how he's approached camp. And I'm, again, a preface this. I don't know this for a fact, but there's just, this, this, this seems odd. And it almost seems like it's more of a motivational aspect of, Hey, get your ass in gear type thing. But I'm not a hundred percent positive. Again, just going off my own experience of, you know, dealing with Phil Jackson and um, my years in, in uh, Chicago when, you know, I thought I was actually playing very well. Then all of a sudden the Bulls up and traded Stacey King for Luke Longley. And then Phil Jackson pulled me in his office and said, okay, I know you're not going to like this, but we traded for Luke for a reason. We're going to start him for 20 games and see how it goes. I was livid because I felt like I earned the starting spot. I felt like I deserved the starting spot, but yet, you know, the one thing that I knew about Phil Jackson was he was always about, you know, big, broad shoulders. His, he always was a big fan of Wes Unsell, who was a huge man, height and width. 
And I was not, I was seven feet, but I was narrow, had narrow shoulders, but I was still 245. But Phil felt like we needed, you know, more girth in the paint. And that's why they made the trade. Luke came in, started those 20 games. Guess what? I got my starting spot back. And I kind of feel like that's, that it made me think about that immediately. And I'm just curious, again, don't know this for a fact that this is more of a motivating factor than anything, you know, because it's, it's tough being in Ken Seal's shoes. You feel like you've been demoted. So how do you respond? And maybe that's what Clark and the coaching staff's looking for. Okay. This is what we're going to do. Let's see how he responds. And does he fight back? Does he give in? Does he transfer? Does he become a problem, you know, a pro, an enigma? What, I don't know. It's, you know, this is part of what we talk about it, you know, handling adversity, the, the emotions of being an athlete. Um, uh, you know, this is a, you know, this is something that uh, we have to keep an eye on. Okay. Here come the hoops questions, starting with Foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> you had to anticipate that, right? Uh, yes, when, sir. when you look at the men's hoops team, what gets you the most excited? What concerns you the most? And do you think Vanderbilt will use NIL collectives to aid in recruiting efforts? By the way, before you answer, I did reach out to Jason Burns, who heads Vanderbilt's collective, about coming on the podcast. I think he's agreeable to that. Not right now. They're still getting their stuff together. So I just wanted to let the audience know that. We are going to try to have someone address the topics of Vanderbilt in its collective at, at, at some point, but the time apparently is not right at the moment. But anyway, with that, uh, your answer to those hoops questions, please. Yes, but, but a quick question. Um, I did see the one where the uh, Hooters signed a couple of the Vanderbilt offensive linemen. Yep. And I wonder, what are the requirements of that? Did they have to wear those little orange shorts underneath their <laughs> Vanderbilt uh, oh. pads or, you know, I, I don't know. I guess we'll have to do Let's a little more not. research, but, <laughs> um, so, you know, in regards to the question about basketball, I mean, I'm, I'm anticipating a much better season this year. Um, you know, I just, and I, and I, and one of the things that honestly really excites me is the Pittsburgh game. Because hmm. they all think we, we all know that, you know, listen, the game was in Pittsburgh last year, but we all know when we talk about Pittsburgh, what comes to mind? Barry Goheen. <laughs> Scott or Trout, Kevin Stallings. 1988. <laughs> Kevin Stallings. But CM <laughs> Newton, Nebraska. So NCAA tournament. So I think that that's, uh, you know, that could be a stepping stone, but no. And, and I am excited about that game. Cause I think we have some stuff that we can talk about later on down the road. But, um, I think that I don't want to say that Jerry's figured it out, but I think that he now truly understands how important I'm not saying he did it initially, how, how important recruiting is but just how much more important it is to, you know, get guys to Vanderbilt than it is in other places, you know, that are because of the fact that, you know, it's just a, di a different type of player 
that, it, that wants to accept different challenges to come to Vanderbilt than other schools. And I'm not just talking about from an academic standpoint. I'm just talking about from, you know, Vanderbilt is just a special place. And, you know, you just have to be willing to accept different challenges. And it's not just about basketball at Vanderbilt. But, and I think Jerry has figured that out. I think that, you know, the coaching staff has done a nice job with developing these guys as they've, they've made improvement. I think that this trip to Paris will help them out significantly. And I fully, I'm not saying that they're going to the NCAA tournament or anything, but I truly believe and expect them to be much more competitive this year. Okay. Brain 13 asks, Lee Dort is a type of big man. We don't usually land. What will you look for him for from him this year? How important is it that he's behind two talented and very different centers and Quentin Malore Brown and Liam Robbins. Well, I think the one thing that this team needs to do is is put themselves in a position to where they own the paint. And I know that's a big term that that uh, they use in the NBA, but it it doesn't change in college. They have to be able to protect the rim, and that's not something that they've been able been able to do a very good job of in years past. And what I mean by that is is that you don't necessarily have to have a historical well-known shot blocker but what you do need is a big body that's willing to and a player that's willing to sacrifice that big body and i'm not talking about a guy that stands in there and takes a charge i'm not that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about um what you refer to maybe as a bruiser he understands how and when to waste the foul he understands positioning to alter shots, maybe not necessarily block shots, but also put the thought into opponents that if they turn the corner, if they look to try to get into the paint, somebody's going to be there. And also that relies on the guards as well to rotate properly when they do get beat, not give up and cover the backside. So that's also a communication issue, but also on the offensive end, somebody that can generate second chance opportunities via offensive rebounds, keep the ball alive, but also somebody that not necessarily is a dominant back to the basket type player. I don't know if there's many of those guys exist anymore in college, but somebody that if you need a bucket inside the paint because shots aren't falling, you have that guy that you, you know, I'm not saying can carry a team, but can get you a few points inside the paint when necessary. Okay, the last one is directed at you personally. Uh, J2M says, who actually coined the term Perdunk, and did you think you'd beat Pitt after you fouled out? Um, I, honestly, I'm not sure who came up with that term. I think that was actually somebody within the media, and I'm not sure exactly who that person was because, you know, the one thing that C.M. Newton despised and would never do was to put one player above the team. Now, he kind of got backed into a corner my senior year because guess what? I was the only senior on the team. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it, uh, you know it, it was rare to have one individual on the cover of uh, the basketball uh, magazine or whatever, but yet I was the only senior, and the seniors were always on the cover. So that's kind of how it happened. Um, but I'm not 100% sure where that term comes from, but I really liked it. 
And um, I, to say I was devastated when I fouled out was an understatement because I literally thought that my career at Vanderbilt was over because it just, you know, I was, and the biggest problem with that play was I was kind of caught in between. I knew what my foul situation was and I was, you know, you, and that comes to the term when you think you're a step slow hmm. and do I back up? But I knew I couldn't give up just an easy, easy two points. So I tried to provide the proper defense without fouling and it just didn't work. And as I was walking to the bench, I was dejected. Uh, I mean, you know, I was trying to control my emotions because of everything I had been through, the highs and lows of my five years at, you know, Vanderbilt, including the redshirt year. And CM Newton pulled me aside and said, hey, this game's not over. I don't know his exact words, but I, you know, he claims that he told me that we were going to win the game. And I'm not 100% positive about that. But I do know that his words are very encouraging. I do remember him referring to it as this game's not over. And, you know, Barry Goheen and the guys made sure of that. And that's, they, they saved me. And, um, you know, unfortunately we lost the next game, but we do talk about at least we lost to, you know, the national championship and the Kansas Jayhawks and Danny Manning and the Miracles. Yeah, that was, that was quite a season. And, you know, again, I'll put it out there, you know, the expectations of every single basketball, former basketball alumni out there is, is that they can and should be willing to invest the time, the money, and the effort to get back to that level. Because I think we all fully believe, as I shift gears for a moment, that basketball should be a program that at least makes the NCAA tournament four out of every five years. Wow. Yeah, it's it's been a while since it's been at that point. So... There we have it, my friend. There we have it. Well, uh, I know you've got to run. Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to us doing this again, and and I guess hopefully next week. All right, so I do want to close this podcast with this prediction. Okay? We all know that this team last year went 2-10 and and didn't win a game in the SEC. But I'm making this prediction right now before they even played one game. Now, I am throwing a caveat in there. And the caveat is, if this team can stay healthy, they will win an SEC game this year. I like it. Uh, they need one. And, uh, yeah, and I, and I know people may be like, oh, that's, oh boy, whoopee-doo. But you got to understand how far backwards this Clark Lee had to take things to go forward. So, you know, if we do win an SEC game, that's, that's an improvement on last year. But I think that also will send a message to not only the fan base, but to uh, possible recruits and, you know, upcoming freshmen and sophomores that aren't playing that much that this or this, team and organization and athletic department is headed in the right direction. 
Will, if folks want to follow you on social media, where do they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Will underscore Purdue 32. All right. Well, thanks for your time again today and look forward to doing this again. Um, one to two weeks, I guess, depending on your your schedule, which is I know is busy. We'll, we'll figure that out. But uh, I know we'll do this again soon, and I look forward to it. Well, Chris, I, I appreciate it. I enjoy doing it. I appreciate everybody that downloads and listens to the podcast and uh, continue to send questions into the mailbag. All right. Thanks, Will. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.